Another take is brought to you by Skivvy. You live your life beyond the limits every day. Skivvy understands that. You value quality in everything around you. They do too. You believe that living comfortably means being at home in your own skin. And trust me when I say, they got you covered. Whether you're negotiating in the conference room or killing it on the playing field, success comes down to feeling confident. Never underestimate the power of premium boxer briefs to keep you on top of your game. Never doubt that Skivvy offers the very best in men's underwear. They're committed to taking a product that you take for granted, trust me, we all do, to a new level of personal comfort and style. Yes, they're serious about both. You deserve to look and feel like the winner you are all the way down to where it really counts. Check out skivvy.com. Am I right? You saw it? They're really comfortable, right? They're the best, especially the ones, shiny ones, you know? that uh, The gray ones? Yeah. Oh, oh my God. They're, Seriously. I've heard they're the same thing that they've been putting on women's breasts for years. Oh, dude, I, I wore those for the very first time. Yeah. Uh, on a show day. Oh, my God. It was like I wasn't wearing You're underwear still wearing them, all day. No, I'm wearing skivvies, though, right now. I'm not wearing those, though. Anyway, head over to skivvy.com. Um, that's S-K-V-I.com. Check out um, all the pairs of boxers. I highly recommend the athletic ones. Those are the gray ones that Yassad and I are talking about. They're awesome. And now, to Yassad Williams. Oh, yeah. 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 What's going on, dude? What's up? What's up, Mitch? How are you? Hanging in there. Hanging in there. (laughs) Nice. Thanks for having me on. Dude, my pleasure. Uh, This is like your eighth time on the podcast, I think. Yep. Did you know that I posted um, uh, the episode with Shane Magnuson and you a couple weeks ago? Oh, really? Yeah. No, I did see it was on there, but... Oh, I'm so, this probably looks horrible to me. I just figured it was out for a long time and I hadn't listened to it. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a dick. Um, <laughs> oh, well, yeah, that was so much fun. That was a blast. Yeah, that was a really good episode. Yeah, That's I why we're... he's uh, uh, opening a, a pokey uh, restaurant, a poke restaurant for all you purists out there. But I'm um, down in Oceanside called Shoots Poke. <laughs> Yeah, because he moved Wait. back down to North County, San Diego. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Okay. So he, yeah, um, but uh, you, you gotta uh, maybe someday we'll have him back on, for dude, a little, for a little pokey recipe. Yeah, I was gonna say have him, have him come up and actually bring some pokey yeah. next time. Um, so you are here for a pretty special reason. Yes, because I've been on. I'm here for, I think, the same reason. Or it all falls under the, the same like umbrella of the fact that I've been on your podcast so many times. Yeah. And it also is the reason that I posted a reissue or a rerun two weeks ago because I was too busy oh. working on your podcast. Yeah. So uh, he just gave up the ghost. Oh. I'm yeah. coming out with my own pod. Okay. Well, let's let's give him a uh, let's give him a breakdown. So what happened was I was on uh, another take podcast of uh, Mitch. Mike yeah. Sutherland here. Um, and just because, well, it was just a couple of friends that I like Pete from The Offspring we, we had him on, and obviously we just did it together. Clay Guida, congratulations. Oh, yeah, he won. His, oh, that was dude, dominating. Hold on, hold on. Such a, yeah, let's sidetrack. Clay Real Guida. quick, Clay Guida, <laughs> sidetrack on this one. Yeah. 
Brett sends me a video. Brett is in Pepper. Yeah. With yeah. Brett sends me a video. Also my stepbrother. Yeah. Also your stepbrother. Uh, and it's and it's like it, it looks like it's him in the in in the arena. Uh-huh. Like right next to Clay as Clay walks in. Yeah. Like, so he sends me like somebody took a video, sent it to Brett. Brett sent it to me. Right. And I'm like, oh, fuck yeah! I for- totally forgot he's fighting. Right. Brett, wh- is it on right now? What channel? He's like FS1. I go to FS1. Yeah, it's a free one. Turn it on. And it's not the fight. And I'm like, it is the fight. It's just not Clay's fight. And I'm like, Brett, did you send this to me after he fought? Oh, so he'd already won. At that he'd point. already won. Oh. So I go to turn on the fight, and I'm like, "Oh fuck, it's not even on!" Like well, I totally missed it. Haley, did you just watch it, BJ Penn or anything? No, no. At that at that point, I just didn't yeah, care. I was like, I haven't luck. had I haven't had this, these guys on my podcast, so I don't give a fuck. Oh, good call. You know, yeah. Like, so back, okay, so yeah, back, back to uh, um, uh, long story, uh, kind of short, kind of long, was I had been on another take podcast michael sutherland's podcast so many times he kept telling me that oh you should just do your own podcast and i don't know i think i kind of kind of went in one ear out the other maybe a few times because uh um i don't know i've just never thought of ever doing a podcast in my whole entire life it was but uh and then maybe the first time it really registered was he brought a name to me said uh maybe you do a podcast called disposable heroes could be about drummers and being such a big metallica fan i was like oh now, now no. you just <laughs> piqued no. my interest, which I just realized is spelled P-I-Q-U-E. Yes, not peaked, P- as in P-E-A-K. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, and then um, a lot, of, lot of other time went by. A lot of life went by. Uh, you had a kid. Mm-hmm. We probably went on tour uh, with Pepper a few times, multiple uh, times. My, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then we were on our way up to take some old cases from the studio and you brought it up again and then i just totally engaged and i was like let's do this yeah it took like i would say 20 times of me telling you (laughs) over a year and a half two-year period that you needed your own yeah so so i totally engaged and then and then uh we talked about it and kind of did all the uh dotted dotted the i's cross the t's and we have um it coming out very soon here i think it's called disposable heroes uh i'm the host it's a podcast uh, all about drummers, but not all about drumming. Right. Uh, so, um, yeah, and Joe D., our good friend, very uh, amazing human and uh, amazing person. Have him on the first episode. Coming Joe, soon. That's Joe Dickens from Iration. Uh, sorry, Joe Dickens from Iration. And uh, that release date is going to be July 5th. That's the day after. July 4th. July 4th. <laughs> Uh, which what is july 4th on a tuesday yeah this so it's, year? it's next wednesday so next yeah. wednesday we're coming out with the uh first the debut episode if you will you can go get a little uh uh teaser teaser on there right now on itunes yeah go look up disposable heroes disposable heroes pod dot uh, com is the web address if you want to check us out online and uh there's a link to google play um it's in google play it's in uh what's it called um stitcher and it's also on Apple Music or Apple Apple Podcasts, as they like to re- be referred to. And then, um, so yeah, so that's the first one, which was super fun. Uh, we went on location yep. to Santa Barbara on the first episode. And then, okay, and then obviously, so Mike is obviously the producer, and um, and it's on his podcast channel, would you call it? No, it's a, it's technically an... No. Uh, um, 
a network, I guess. Okay. So yeah. I, 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 it would be the third of, of the third podcast I've produced. Right. So uh, this one, and then we do, um, which they haven't done it in a while because Richard Jefferson was too busy losing in the finals to uh, <laughs> Clay Thompson and, and the like. Yeah. And that's the, the detox? That's the detox. Right. Yeah. So there's the detox. There's another take. And now Disposable Heroes. Yeah. And there is a teaser up. You can subscribe. And the first episode will drop um, at midnight on July 6th. Or July 5th, excuse me. So that means while you're recovering from your 4th of July hangover, you can actually just listen to the podcast and see what Joe D's all about. I've, um, been, I've been told that my uh, tone of my voice is good for hangovers too. Cures hangovers. I've really? Told, yeah. Who's told you that? I'm assuming it's a chick. Can't be a dude. <laughs> yeah, it, it was my chick. <laughs> that, can you imagine your friend telling you that yeah that was creepy hey uh let's move on can you just keep talking to me man you're really helping my headache <laughs> and so and then should we tell them the there's we're gonna do another episode on uh coming up here too yes that'll be thursday however yeah. that um we're trying to play with the uh, as we've discussed like how often we release them because one, they're really hard to record. Yeah. Not hard. They're just We're going in order on... to get people that we really want to talk to. It takes like a lot of work. Yeah. It's hard to find interesting people out there, man. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, but and then but on a serious note, we're going on tour. Uh it's like you said, it's it's uh it's uh not you know, not the easiest right. thing to capture just with different people's schedules right. and, and this and that and whatnot. But so the, the goal the goal is every two weeks. That's the goal. Um, and I'm sure we'll be able to do that for the most part. We've got one um, already set up. So, yep. um, and then when we were, when we're on tour, like, I think it'd be just great to connect with the drummers on the tour. Yeah. And like, like we were talking about in the preview too, of course, we're going to connect with drummers, but we also, you know, I've already talked to Aaron from Tama, you know, we want to connect with people in the drumming industry. Right. We want to connect with, um, I don't know, really kind of find the ends of all the branches that lead back to drumming. Right. You know what, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and that, and that, and that drumming's the root. Like for instance, I'm just going to, I'm just going to say it, that the next one uh, is going to be Vinny from less than Jake, obviously drummer less than Jake. And uh, you know, he's done. And I think it's just, I'm so excited to, to uh, do it and find out all this stuff, but he, he's done so much in the music industry. Holy crap. I didn't even think about that. But the root of it, is drumming right at the very core the very he got, core he got started I'm, I'm as guessing, a drummer i'm guessing i could ask him like what are you first you're probably say you're a drummer first right right i would always say i'm a drummer first um so yeah that's kind of i think the whole thing and see how far these branches will extend you know yeah. that's kind of our, our maybe our like a uh, little bit of a mission statement our journey that we're gonna kind of embark on yeah, that's so crazy. I didn't even think about that. But Vinny, dude, the guy yeah. signed Fallout Boy. Yeah, like he signed some huge. If it wasn't for, if there's a chance that if it wasn't for him, some very relevant huge bands wouldn't be around. Right. Yeah. So it's it's crazy. And 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 I'm such a you know obviously with the Law Records and everything, I'm such a nerd when it comes to all that stuff. So I'm I'm very very interested. So uh, just take it back for me though, because this is a perfect time to introduce yourself. Oh yeah, to all of the people that listen to my podcast, okay. all eight. Yes, hi guys. Um, so John, take me back. Like Terry. I, I, I obviously know you pretty well, so we're gonna have to separate the friendship from the uh, the interview. Okay. Um, 
I know that you, at one point, when you were really young with Raimi, growing up in, in Hawaii, got to see Metallica. How old were you? Like eight? By the way, that hissing sound that you hear or may not hear, depending on whether or not I use a gate on the vocal, is um, Yasad taking a massive rip off of a vape pen. Yes. And not the kind that gives you tobacco. This is this could even be our Hawaiian pepper flavor. You never know. Um, so the concert, the concert, Metallica. So um, the first time I ever saw him was in 1989. So I was uh, about I think 11 years old. I was on the Justice for All tour. Um, totally changed my life, man. Seriously, is that when you started drumming? The yeah, that's pro- right around. Let me think about that's right around the time I think I might have already had the uh the my first thoughts of I want to play drums kind of because I, I years before that my dad bought me a guitar and gave me lessons and it never really clicked so I think over those couple years is where I kind of got the inkling of I want to start playing drums but then when I went and saw that concert I got to meet because oh, my mom worked for the promoter and I got to meet Lars and everything and something with that connection of being in such awe in the crowd and such a fan of seeing it. And the connection of meeting them right after, I think just was like this, like, I don't know, like this huge epiphany. Like, I didn't know it at the time, obviously. But looking back on it, I think it was this huge epiphany, you know, of, of I want to do this or I right. play drums or, I, you know, I, I think there's something here or there's more to the, I don't know. You know, or, or like I referring back to my hippie roots, it's like something in the universe was telling told me at that point and guided me in some kind of direction whether i knew it or not you know right right yeah did you take formal lessons back then um no i t- i took my my dad kind of knew a couple like just your standard like 4/4 four, four beat and he would play it with the kick drum on and he still does to this day you can hit up Fa and tell him hey, b- jam a groove real quick on the kit in the studio and he he'll play it, and it's the way I learned to play, just like your normal ACDC groove. It's with a kick. It's a four and like a four on the floor kick. So it'd be like right. this, like do do pa do, and with the snare, everything. And and so that's how I learned how to play, which is kind of weird. And now that I think about it in retrospect, because the four on the floor is such a reggae thing, right? And and I end up playing in in you know what I mean, so much reggae in, in for right. a living, I right, guess, right, right. for my career basically. Um. So so my dad taught me that, and I kind of you know I kind of just finally learning anything you start it slow and then you're able to do it and then that was the when i made the connection of i can kind of see in my mind what i'm hearing when i would listen to my favorite cds or okay. whatever right right you know um and and then i yeah and then i i don't think i was more i was surrounded by music there was a lot of like a lot of my mom's friends were musicians um i was uh, uh i ended up jamming in a band with my dad when I was like 10 years old or 11 years old at one right. point. So those were really like my lessons in a sense, you know, so formal, no, not necessarily, but I had a lot of people maybe like showing me some shit. I had a lot of people that I could, that I could kind of watch and, and, and man, that's kind of what I've really even, I take into this day going out on tour with other bands is I really like, I watch every drummer I come into contact with and kind of pick up shit. Yeah, Did, here, here and there, whether it, whether I don't know, this, at the risk of sounding like the sounding bad, like whether I'm a, a fan of of the band or the drummer or not, or I always am kind of soaking up shit, you know. So that's kind of. I I have a question. Did you at at any point ever take a lesson like at that age around there? 
maybe, maybe one. one. Okay. Yeah. I took lessons for pretty good while uh-huh. from like the time I was like eight till uh, I want to say I was like ten. Yeah. And maybe eleven, and they were they were like formal to the point where they almost didn't help. Right. Like on the I guess on the on the surface they didn't help. I like down below the brain was taking in what was happening totally. and I was able to use it later. Yeah. But like that period of time, like I just don't remember ever. I like, it was so formal that it was like all rudiments on a practice pad. Yeah. And it wasn't the picture of what playing the drums was. No. You understand? And yeah. like, I had an old teacher, Grayson's Toontown. That was the, uh, the spot where I had lessons. Yeah. And he was like, just so old that he didn't really, I don't, I don't know if he didn't care, but he just couldn't push me to practice. Yeah. That, and, that's so funny. And it's weird. Cause I'm not that kind of person where like, I don't practice. Right. Um, in baseball, I would, if you told me how to hit better, if you told me, if you do this, you will hit better. Right. I would do that. But it was more like, this is what you do. And that's it. There's no ifs, ands, buts about it. Yeah. And so I kind of like, it kind of threw me off for a few years. So I yeah. wonder if that ever happened to someone else. Like, no, I, you're funny you bring this up because now it makes me think about it. I was thinking about lessons like you call like a teacher up and he comes. But no, I joined school band, man, in Calicate. Oh, you were allowed in, to? In, in, yeah, in my in seventh grade, maybe it was. in Yeah, Calicate uh, Intermediate School. And I was under the same impression that I'm going to get to go play a drum kit. And, uh, and, <laughs> and it was before, <clears throat> I think it must have been before I had one. And the same kind of thing is they just handed me a snare and like, here, do some Ruta. And so it was the same kind of deal where it completely threw me off. And I don't know if it had anything to do with each other, but it was right around the same time I like got super into surfing and in turn stopped playing drums until uh, we started Pepper. Really? Shit you not. And I don't know if maybe they had something to do with each other, but yeah, but I totally was like, oh, sick, I'm going to play the drums. Oh, no, this is lame. Yeah, and, and I can't isn't that weird? I, and I can't believe I'm in this class now. Like I'm st- almost stuck in this class, and then I I wonder how much of a like how how, how often that happens. I don't know, but and we're two for two right yeah, here. And I found <laughs> I found so like uh, not too long ago, I was I taught like a couple um, these two twins. Uh, just like I was friends with the family, so they just asked me to come over right. and and teach the kids. So I taught them, and they had a drum kit. And I had to convince these kids that playing, and I get it now. I didn't get it when I was eight, mm-hmm. but I had to convince them that just to play quarter notes for ten minutes, I you know. know? And yeah. and it's so important, and we forget that now. Totally. But like, I get it. Why the te- I I understand why the instructor was doing that. I just wish he would have been able to relay it to me in sense in a way that made me realize how important it was going to be for me to learn those things. Yeah. It's a fine line because you know, you can't, you can't really get someone to do something unless they have passion for it. My case in point. Yeah. Me too. Cause I, I, yeah. I, I, I went into that, those classes and, and obviously lost the passion for playing drums. And, and then, you know, fast forward four or five years later, I, uh, with the story, you know, I run into Cleo, we start, uh, uh, pepper, whatever. And the passion just ignites, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and then, Almost twenty years later, here we are. Right. Um. So yeah, it's a fine line, man. Because you're totally right. I wish, I wish, I knew every rudiment in the world. I wish I would have buckled down back then. And but that's the last thing I ever thought. 
back right, then. Right. I wanted to be a pro surfer back then. You know what I mean? Right. It's and like I wanted I, to be a pro baseball player. Yeah. It's like I, I never would have thought, uh, oh, I wish I'm, I'm going to really need that skill. But then that's why I go out on tour. I see drummers that have the, <laughs> have those skills and, and, and I'm like, oh, it's so amazing. And I love watching them. I love and, trying to pick things up. I love, you know. I have one story where we were on tour with Dirty Heads and, uh-huh. and, and um, I, I always keep like the rudiment book in my, in my work box, uh-huh. you know, and I just practice whatnot, like just chilling between sets. Yeah. And, um, Maddie came up and like, I don't know, like I turned to some random fucking page, like way in the back of the book yeah. for, um, stick control for the, uh, the modern drummer mm-hmm. or for the snare drummer, uh-huh. which is like the classic rudiment book. Uh-huh. And he's like, Oh, I remember that one. You know, like every drummer like that's taken like their, their lessons, right. you know, has probably come in contact with it. Yeah. <laughs> he went to like page 48. Which is like flam McHugh, fucking flam taps. The nut shit. Nuts shit. Yeah. And Maddie is a marching drummer. Yeah. Played in high school, played in middle school. Yeah. And sat there, sight read that, those patterns and played it traditional grip, fucking perfect. Yeah. And I just remember being like, oh my God. Yeah. Exactly. You're one of those drummers. You're, you're like, I am a drummer that learned by hearing yeah. what other people did. And you're one of the drummers that actually got like the real core mm-hmm. principles, and I'm so jealous of him I know. for that. And and it didn't and it didn't stiffen him up too much either. You know what I mean? Oh, like no. he's got such good yep. feel because there's the other end of being such a technically good drummer where you're kind of like robotic a little bit. You yeah, know? yeah, like Neil Pert. <clears throat> yeah, totally. Where speaking of just seeing Tool, how like Danny Carey is so groovy and so technical at the exact same time. It yeah, is so fucking amazing. I know it's weird. <laughs> It's yeah, it's weird. Like he's so he's playing sh- stuff as technical as Neil Peart from Rush, but he has as much like like groove and swing as as I don't know what's any, anyone like. What's that about? How is he that good? Okay, you want to get? Should we get down to like the science of it? It's does him being so big have part? Like he's got really long limbs, man. He's like he's like six six or something. I almost feel like, like that's a disadvantage. You think so? Okay. I, I kind okay. of because he looks he does it effortlessly. Like the looking at him playing drums, not to a point where you know some things look so effortless, it's almost boring. Yeah. Even though they're doing it, you're like, I, but he does it. Looks effortless, but is so entertaining at the same time. It's it's pretty insane. What what song in particular would you think? Uh, what's the one? Uh, uh do unto others. As, oh, prison sex. Hold on, I want to play it real quick. Yeah. Um, this is like, cause this this reminds me of like a. It's kind of like I've uh, talked about before. Actually, I think in my podcast, uh, it's like <laughs> it's like that uh, that perfect uh, blend of like a, a John Bottom and like a Stuart Copeland or something. Like there's all the crazy hi hat accents and like like all the crazy accents everywhere and such a deep pocket at the same time. What what album is Prison Sex on? Undertow. To unto others, what has been done? to you have to find it on itunes because it's not on spotify it's not on itunes either i don't know how you have it on on itunes well i actually bought the cd and imported it to my computer like an old school yeah point being you can only get their music physically god that guitar tone it's so good ron saint germain makes this who also produced in with the old he mixed this yep Dude, you know, you want to hear something funny? Sylvia Massey produced it and Ron St. Germain mixed it. 
It's like so technical, so much going on. This is all a hi-hat work, but so groovy. I'm going to guess he doesn't hit very hard. I, 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 really? I mean, you wouldn't think he could, but it's Danny Carey, man. He probably does. Yeah. <laughs> You know what's funny about this? I but how's doing those, doing those like snare pickups? Like, what is it on the one going into the swoop? There, it's, it's everywhere. Yeah. Okay, so you know how I knew it was around Saint Germain? Hi hat's really loud. Yeah. Well, he was on fire around this time too, because he also, <laughs> God rest Chris Cornell's soul, he also mixed the Bad Motorfinger. No, with, he didn't. Yes, with Rusty Cage and everything. Ron Saint Germain was uh, that's what that was his early 90s success he was heavy into mixing and then he went on to the late 90s 96 to produce 311's blue album became big as a producer and then did the from chaos uh, yeah. amber and everything yeah, yeah, yeah. and then hung out with your pepper. Bo- your boys pepper yeah and that was actually how we officially hooked up with 311 and recorded in their studio the hive which led to the relationship of us working with nick hexham and him uh, producing half of no shame okay so this is all interesting i want to back up though yeah how did you meet did you guys know each other in high school did you know Khalil? because the way yeah. i've heard it is like you were you were they knew of you like you were a person yeah. they... uh, that could sound weird though because it's like it's there we we're from this tiny town man like like knew of me as in knew that like i played drums me and and the the whole thing of me not playing drums for four years you know what i mean they, right like people probably yeah oh yeah you, you, like yee you saw whatever plays drums so that's what yeah but we knew each other we were from brett like especially me and brett grew up right down like the street from each other and then cleo moved to the big kona in when he was like t- t- 10 or 11 or something from uh Kauai. and him and brett became best friends back in kona Really? Yeah. And I just wasn't like in their direct circle of friends. Uh, right. But still, the circle of friends, we're talking. It's tiny. We're talking uh, Cheerios in a bowl. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like just, just super tight knit. So, um, yeah. So I think that's where any of that could come from, basically. So- and, and then when I, I talk about me and Kaleo ran into each other. Like we'd obviously we, we, we'd known each other for. I think they'd even asked me to play drums a couple times through my non-passionate period for drumming, right right you know? through, through surfer period yeah through like i'm I'm just i'm 15 years old i just uh want to go i coincidentally that was right around the time i got super into pennywise and all these bands too anyway um so yeah so then when i talk about running to cleo i just saw him at a party like right after right before me and brett's class of 97 had graduated high school Cleo had just graduated the year before and I don't know what it was but something led me and him in our conversation to say why don't we jam together sometime and then that led him to say perfect I'll get Brett and we can uh jam like in his garage at his mom's house and then and then that's how we <laughs> then we start playing like that yeah. I don't know because I know the three of you so well the, the idea <laughs> the, that transaction happening is so funny to me <laughs> Especially when we were 17 years yeah, old or whatever, yeah, oh or whatever it was. That's so funny. Yeah, great. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so we, we we totally knew each other forever. And then, but I mean, but yeah, but then we started the band and, and, and really 
because we lived with each other and and did, right. did the yeah. whole deal when we moved to California in in 1999. So uh, take me through that moving from <laughs> fucking Hawaii, yeah. small town Hawaii to yeah. North County. Small yeah, North County to Carlsbad. We moved to. Um, it was cool because we had a little bit of money because we all had good like waiter jobs back in Kona and um, so. It was our first time living, I think, by ourselves. We all moved into a room together, into a two-bedroom apartment that our friend had that we grew up with as well, Muff. Tiffany, oh yeah, Tiffany yeah. Brown. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, basically, just kind of like let my dad agreed to ship my drums over. Like FedEx probably paid some ungodly amount to get my drums over, so we we're able to like start booking quote unquote booking shows you know and playing some bars and whatnot so so yeah so at first i think it was just a fr like free for all first time living alone we know a few people that could get us like some shows at a couple bars so it was that kind of like let's do this like char right. charge um uh free musketeer type of vibe you know and then um uh then the then the real work started once i think we hit that first warp tour in 2001 where uh um it wasn't you know what i mean it wasn't so much of like the romance of being fresh freshly free from our adolescent lives had kind of like uh washed away and we hit that warp tour and it was such hard work we had to set up the stage for volcom um and it really, I, I, I don't know. I think it was, it was like, I don't want to say discouraging, but definitely was like, wow, this is going to be a lot harder than, than like we think it was going to be, or, or I don't know. <laughs> well, okay, but get, how did you go from, I mean, because shipping your drums from Hawaii, yeah, like that in itself is a challenge. Thank, thanks, thanks, yep. Fa, by yep. the way. Thanks, Fa. That and then living together, mm -hmm. you, the three of you lived in one bedroom, right? Yeah. Which always would equate to like one of a. I think I always slept on the couch in the living room. I like to fall asleep to like the TV being on, so I just. How long was that? Like what was like... Uh, that? Was probably that place was probably six months, maybe we lived in that place together, and that I think was like I talk about that that kind of like uh, romance of being fresh to the mainland for the first time. We, that was that six months, and 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 we just crushed it in North no County, car. San Diego. I had a. I ended up with like a thousand of my. I think like three or four thousand dollar nest egg. I'd uh, saved up of tips to move over or whatever. I bought a. It was like an '88 uh, Honda Civic four door. No way. And that became fucking. If it wasn't for that thing, we wouldn't have been able to get up to West Beach Studios to record Kona Town. And I just I drove us just everywhere. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. So you were you were Brett's chauffeur. <laughs> well, all the three, all of us, yeah. The, Jesus the, just Christ. Three of us, fucking. <laughs> and that's how we ended up hooking, like going up to the people we knew that we could play places. That's how we hooked up with, uh, like, Coach getting us a couple places. Well, he wasn't Coach then; it was just Isla getting us a couple gigs at the Wind and Sea and this and that. But, but yeah, that car, man, shit, that thing took us. Up to Volcom to make flyers, and then, like I said, eventually the the uh, record deal with them got us to West Beach in Hollywood to record Kona Town with Steve Kravak. And so neither Kaleo nor Brett had a car no. at all. Mm -mm. Jesus Christ! We had a we had the van though. We had the seventy uh, 
76 or whatever the it blue, was. The blue thing? Yeah, the 70. Well, it was snow camo at one point. And it what? was like primer. <laughs> it was a primer after that. Yeah, no, there was a 76 Dodge Sportsman. Like, <laughs> that was also part of the initial. That might have even been before my drums got here. But that was part of the initial. Obviously, we, we've heard that you have to buy a van. We've been listening to Sublime Stand By Your Van, the live record. We know, okay. we know you need it's a van. It's all coming together. We know you need a van. So right. we ended up, yeah, we ended up looking in the, I don't know what the, it was before the internet and all that. Right. So in the, uh, Car trader. The car trader. Yeah. What, I don't even know. Or, I, I think it was way more ghetto than that. The recycler, whatever Yeah, the recycler. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. I went and bought this 76 Dodge Sportsman from these nuts, uh, uh, two uh, lesbian chicks in like east county san diego or something and how much did that cost i think 800 bucks something like that maybe a thousand bucks something like that we all chipped in (laughs) well we each chipped in the three of us split it three ways and then yeah had had, then kind of just rolled rolled that thing around southern california doing like bars and stuff like that when we first hooked up with volcom and uh played a couple like events for them and 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 whatnot so uh, rolling through like this is i love this yeah because i'm unfortunately i mean i've toured in a minivan a dodge minivan yeah that our guitar player bought i remember when you did that super quality vehicle yeah took out the center seat so we had like a place to lay down in the middle yeah oh yeah um so i'm familiar with like van life Uh like what was it like like at that time did you have any shame really well, I mean, you um, can't, you not, can't really at that level. Yeah, not really. But then, okay, then, so we knew we needed a van. Then the next level was we got a van. Then we realized what nice vans were. And like, you know what I mean? Because we started making right. some you, other vans. Yeah, so of it, course. So then you start getting, uh, you know how it is with anything in life. When something comes close to your like, uh, like circle, basically, you start noticing it more, you know, like, like vans yeah. came into our life. So right. we started having van envy where we would see like, like oh look right at, look at that 15 oh, passenger Ford. Yeah, check that oh. econo line yeah oh, oh wow oh wow it's a black one that thing looks insane yeah. oh it's wow. black on black too Did yeah. you see how tinted those windows are yeah so um so then so then the whole challenge was we need now now we need a nice van because otherwise we're not gonna be able to travel across the country and whatnot right for, so for fear that your sportsman might yeah so there was so there was the different levels of it and and um nah but there was there was never any shame in it like it was always I don't know. There was such, I think maybe some like pride involved with being in a band at that point and then, or just being in a band in general. And especially at that point and being from Hawaii, like we're very prideful people as it is. You know what I mean? We're we're like, it's not that many bands from Kona, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, well, no, I mean, what you, at that point, what you had accomplished for where you were from was probably pretty, it was a big deal. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I think it. I don't know. It's it's hard to like try and think of stuff like that and try and not like kind of sound like, full, like I, a douchebag I at totally, the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> you know I mean? yeah, 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 yeah. Trying yeah, to yeah. always err on the side of selflessness. It's kind of hard to uh, talk about that kind of thing. But, but yeah, no, for sure. It's, I don't want to take anything away from anything we've done and anything we're doing and anything we're gonna do. Because, yes, at the end of the day, you look at it on paper, and me, I take myself out of it. Hey, sitting in this studio, man. I, you know what I mean. I, I, I tell myself that my life is full of so many like, like pinch myself moments, and it's like sitting in the studio that used to be Pennywise's place, which I came into once when they were recording. I don't know what album when we were next door recording uh, yeah. No Shame in two thousand and six or whatever. And yeah, so it's like from there seeing this being their studio to sitting here now. I mean, it's amazing to look at it. And right. So I guess right. yes, 
it it is a huge i mean up until that point it probably even was a considerable accomplishment yeah i i think so and i think that i i mean put it this way i don't think i would have had the courage that you three had to do what you did yeah and and part of that like i mean i mean the funny thing is like you left a place that people yeah, dream a, of going which to. was a great safety that's, net though at the same time that's true you know which i think gave us some of that um oh well fuck if, if we so, have to come back to hawaii how yeah, bad is that yeah some of that like like that whole like you know fuck it like like worst case scenario this absolutely doesn't work like we can go back to kona and like like right it's great there right yeah <laughs> you know like life, yeah. life's life is amazing there i mean and that's the beautiful thing about uh being from such an amazing place is we go back now and it's pretty much still the same and it's still there and it's and and, and it's I, I don't know i guess what i'm trying to say is it's always that for lack of a better term that amazing safety net you know yeah that you want to go back to yeah i mean ramey you know your old sound guy he did yeah he went back yeah and just had a baby yeah that's Na- so crazy Nalu. all you guys yeah. having babies yeah I, I was your diaper tech today. Yes, you were. That was amazing. Yeah, you saw it uh, brought over yeah. some diapers that were yeah. shipped to his house. Yeah, my girlfriend works for Honest Company, so he, as, she uh, took care of me. As, yeah, as people that have, especially people, because everyone I talk to that has a baby or had a baby, and I bring up the Honest Company, they're like, oh my God. Yeah, where I didn't thought it was the, I've told you this before, I thought it was the tea company she was going to work for, my girlfriend was going to work for. Honest, Honest tea? tea? Forever. Two months went by she wasn't working there yet but after she'd applied and then finally we had a conversation where it hit ahead and she's like what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> probably probably something about me wanting to get free tea or something like oh. like hey so we're gonna get free tea now so, like, hey, do, they, do they make a yerba mate too yeah, exactly <laughs> <laughs> so anyway it was great uh i guess my point is that we're growing up man yeah and uh <laughs> yeah so when you moved over here you did you did the six months in the house you had the sportsman yep. and then you get signed to volcom uh-huh and you're like what how old are you uh we're me and brett were probably 21 20 really yeah 20 20 probably because we moved over when we were 19 and it like, took right- you a, a year and a half ish to get signed yeah Yes, yes, because like what some people might have thought of us being signed or I mean, no one thought no one knew who we were back then. But anyway, <laughs> what they could they printed the given it album, but we weren't technically signed to their label. But they they actually pressed it. Yeah, but they were like, here, we'll press it for you. Uh, we'll like, like How- sell it to you at a rate as if you were on our label. But we weren't signed. You know what I mean? They were like really concentrated on CKY on on just some other bands at that point and, and at that time cky was pretty freaking big oh totally they were I, I thought they were gonna be the next like like system of a down or something you right know what i mean right. which still baffles me it was uh that was the album was so that volume volume one i think with the uh, 96 quite bitter beings and everything you know i never really got into them so i'm not i'm not entirely that, yeah play that first song 96 quite bitter beings but this was the album that was out when we first kind of had were uh like flirting with Volcom, i guess and like i said they printed album didn't uh sign us and then right before that 2001 warp tour was when we officially inked the deal with them 
So, uh, and this was around the time of uh, Jackass, so CKY was kind of riding that whole thing. It, no, 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 it was right before that. Oh, really? I think so. Right? Ah, you might be right. It, it coincided. You could, you could say it coincided. But so this stuff, and you got this was two thousand and two ish. This came out ninety six. White bitter thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. This song. Yeah. Sick. Just octave pedal, riffy. Uh, what would you call this? Hard rock. Yeah. Alternative hard rock. So yeah. So Vulcan was really pumped on 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 these guys, and you know like. They were really pushing them and whatnot, so we were kind of unofficially on the label, I guess, for maybe a year. Wow, okay. Yeah. And then, like I said, uh, right before the, we left on uh, Warp Tour to play slash set up and break down the Volcom stage on the 2001 Warp Tour, it was right before that we inked a, an official deal with Volcom Entertainment, went on Warp Tour in 2001, right after Warp Tour, I believe it was, was when we jumped in the Honda Civic and rolled up to Hollywood and in that fall of 2001, I believe is when we recorded Conan Town. And then it came out the following year? Yeah. 2002? Yeah, like early, like like first quarter 2002, March-ish or something like that. Uh, and you, you went on Warp Tour the next year? 2003. 2003. Yeah, because 2002, I think we did a... We might have even done a small run with Slightly Stupid in 2002 because I remember doing like a small run with them, both of us in vans. And um, because we'd linked up with them through Kaleo's cousin, Kainoa, who is obviously from Hawaii, but had lived in um, Southern California and Long Beach for a while. So he knew the stupid boys. Really? Yeah. That's how the Kainoa that I met? Yes. The like Hawaiian Jesus? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Kainoa Bray. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he was. Uh, he actually he dated Troy for, for like for after a couple of years after um, Bradley passed away, and because he lived up here, whatever. And after he went back to Hawaii, yeah, he knew the stupid boys, and I think just in the our talks before we'd moved to California, I think it was one of those. Oh, you guys moving to the mainland? Oh, I know this 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 band's slightly stupid, and I had gotten the longest barrel ride CD from somewhere and had been listening to it. Around that same of course. time, that's always how it works, yeah, right? Yeah, so I was, I was like, "Oh, that's amazing!" Like, which is why I think we're like, we, you know, we need, we had a couple leads and whatnot, and then that's why I say we got on Warp Tour and the work started because I was like, "Oh, wow, we actually this is gonna like, yeah, all those leads sounded nice back then, but now we gotta build now, the stage." Yeah, now we now we gotta build the <laughs> stage. Yeah, exactly. But um um so on in two thousand and two, back to that. We went on a small run with uh, Stupid, I'm pretty sure, because I, I know, I just remember being like, oh my God, this is like touring, like, like this is so easy compared to what, you know what I mean? I think, like, because we saw Stupid guys getting Motel 6s, and like this, so we were like, oh, fucking Miles, guys, they know what's up. Like, <laughs> Oh, because you thought it was nice. Yeah, because they and they knew how to tour. You know what I mean. At that point, right, I right. looked. I looked at them. Well, like, they were like six years in at yeah, that point. Yeah, at that point, I looked at the, at those guys and I'm like, damn. Okay, we got to start taking some notes. Basically, is what I was say. Okay, we can't afford to get one motel six room a night. They're only fucking like fifty bucks tops, guys. You know what I mean? So it's like shit like that. Right. We were learning and uh, and um, then like you said in 2002, we went back on Warp Tour, only for. Which has kind of been our mantra for Warp Tour ever since. We're okay, like we're probably like we're not gonna do the whole thing, but we're so we did. I think like 
three weeks or two weeks. And I shit you not, I think that was another epiphany similar to maybe the uh, Metallica concert. But this was more of a conscious one where we went on that warp tour. And I remember in fucking Florida, man, I remember the Orlando show. Everyone was like clapping along to like, I was like, I think we're doing it, guys. You know what I mean? Oh, I yeah, just yeah, I yeah. was like, oh, this is I th- like they I, knew what the kind of new track. Yeah, I kind of think this is actually working, kind of deal, you know? Right. Um. And, and then, yeah, and then that's kind of I think where, like, the little fire started, I guess. And, yeah. And the and the and we put we put two and two together. Okay, this touring thing's working, you know? Like, right. Like, Let's not like, give this up. Yeah, we've been we've been kind of like like because i think the i don't know if the first thing of going like east across the country on a, something legit because we went to florida in late 99 on this like quote unquote surf video premiere like janky tour but it wasn't really i don't really consider it i think the um first official thing would be that 2002 was stupid so yeah that's where like like i said we we're like okay this touring thing is a surefire thing and that's why i still say to this day if you know if you ask me what i was going to give a younger band uh um some advice it's just like the seems like the surefire thing to do to build your band is to get out there and tour right and that's like and and, and, and i don't know it might it might take 10 years it might take 2 years right it might take 5 years i don't know how long it's going to take but i do know it's a pretty surefire way to promote your band yeah and uh, i mean if i look at even stupid I'll never forget the first time I ever worked with them in the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I grew up around here, obviously, mm-hmm. and um, which is Hermosa Beach. Yep. And at the at Patrick Malloy's, they were on the the what's it called the freaking like the concert series or whatever. No, they were on oh, the, the marquee. The marquee. And I was I was too young back in like 2002 2001 right, cause it's a bar. to go yeah to go over. into it so I didn't even know what they sounded like I just knew that they were a band right and I think they played Susie's too like some small places you know right and um and I just I was I was always conscious of them just right? to interject real quick these are all the places that when we first moved over over here we opened up like your your OC weeklies and all your and readers pointed. and we were like these are the places we need to play. Right, you know what I and mean, and you were so, right. I mean, you were right. At yeah, that point. well, I mean, it wasn't rocket science. We were looking at the bands and seeing where they were playing, and you put two and two together. This is what we need to do. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So, um, I remember them being, you know, doing the marquee, like being on the marquee yeah. at uh, Patrick Malloy's, and then they come in the studio, and I was having a conversation with one of them, like day one, day two. I think it was Miles, and I was like, "Hey, like, so what have you guys been up to? Like, what's your?" You know, I I knew they were a band. I didn't know anything about them. How many years had passed by? Oh, this was 2007. So, so like five. Five years, yeah. Right? Yeah. And uh, like, like at some at some point, he just tells me he's like, "Oh, no, we just played like, like Irvine, like Verizon Wireless Amphitheater." I'm yeah. like, "What? Are you fucking with me?" <laughs> yeah. Like, because the only thing I knew about Stupid was that, that I'd seen them on the marquee yeah. at goddamn. Patrick Malloy's, which holds 200 people yeah. and is a bar, really. I mean, it, it, and I just thought, like, man, that is fucking crazy. They worked their way up yeah. to do this. Like, this is... All, all from... Yeah. and just All from, from touring. Uh, just from touring, for like, for sure. And, hey, you know, we're going out on tour with, uh, what are they called? Fortunate Youth. Yep. Also local. South also Bay. local South Bay kids. But, like, those guys have worked their fucking ass off. Big time. And I've seen it. I've been on tour with them. Yeah. In not the minivan, 
I was in a uh, SUV at the time. Nice. Uh, sharing backline with Jordan. Nice. Uh, and Jordan actually just just reached out to me. Really? Like, yeah, he's like, dude, I can't believe it's been like six years. We're going on tour again. Nice. And I'm like, I know. And <laughs> you're like, it's just trippy. But um, those guys have toured their ass off and now are doing really well. Dude, they just they just crushed that last. That's what I was uh, I was saying this other day. I'm so stoked. Like we're not only just stoked to have them as people because it's going to be such a blast, but um their last run they did headlining man they're selling out some solid venues so like they're just adding so much value to the tour on the business level too so it's really really uh um it's winning just, on winning yeah, on all angles all you know what i mean yeah. it's gonna be so fun yeah so. I, I think so too and they're they're super cool guys i mean it's just been yeah. a good time seriously um okay so going and they, back and they like to take heavy dabs which i'm just heavy a huge fan of yeah yeah in fact we're just gonna have to set up the dab rig <laughs> in their bus yeah because i think this tour you might be the only smoker yeah or oh, no or multiple dabs or dab multiple rooms oh. i'm trying to think yeah okay who, who do we have on this tour yeah who do we have uh beach the no no uh our new monitor guy i don't know about yep so but, but we're not gonna get i don't out. even know i don't even Ch- no chips chips is gonna be with oh us. chips Thank never God. mind thanks, thanks chips <laughs> we love you chips got a shout out except that whole redskins thing yeah yeah <laughs> uh washington redskins and working for revolution now Oh fucking, yeah. Actually, no. We love that you're working for Revolution. Um, so you do the uh, you do the tour, stupid. Yep. Two thousand three. Yep. So I, I had Dean Woodward on the podcast. Yep. From uh, two he cents, he was on that Warp Tour, two thousand and three. Dude, in two cents, he sent me. I, let me show it to you. Actually, what, what what some of their music? No, 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 no. no. Oh. He sent me a poster from that year's Warp Tour. Oh, sick. Was it the the uh, Lucha Libre? Uh no, it looks like a calendar. Oh, and he just you're like you're like no, it's Excel spreadsheet. Look at that. Oh yeah. Okay, That's, so that that we took that at Volcom. <laughs> oh, are you talking about us, or are you just talking about? Just look at the lineup. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I thought you were talking about the. Oh, that was I used to take. Uh, I used to walk with uh, uh, Davey Havoc, and he had his parasol with him every day to like uh the catering and uh locker rooms <laughs> no way yeah okay for some reason I, me and i always ran into him on the way uh but so afi we were talking about obviously who davy havoc yeah so it's matchbook for. romance some 41 thrice less than jake yeah western waste wow what happened to those guys vox rancid pennywise simple plan dropkick murphy's face to face stun i don't know who they are Just- oh stun is bobby alt you know bobby alt from street drum corps that's where we first met bobby alt no way. Yeah. He was the drummer for that band Stun. They're actually a real sick band. You, the, album, and, the album they made was real rad. Like and now he's playing rock. playing drums in Sum 41. Oh, no. No, no Frank Zuma, Frank the is other guy. The other he, guy. But, he, but Bobby Alt is playing percussion for uh, Rod Stewart. Oh, okay then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then Destruction Made Simple. Don't know them. The Line. Yep. Andrew, that was all the Volcom stage stuff. Was The Line, Vox, Us. Andrew um, WK. Me first in the Gimme Gimmies. Ooh, they had Damn. the bar on stage. I remember. Every, tsunami every bomb. Show. Damn, yep. tsunami bomb. With a chick singer. Yep. AFI Pepper. Avenge Sevenfold. God. Wait, Avenge Sevenfold was on that tour? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I totally. I didn't, uh, I didn't even know that. The Used, Suicide Machines, uh, the Ataris, Rise Against, Avoid One Thing. Don't know them. Mad Caddies. Fuck yeah. Slick Shoes, Unseen, One Man Army messed and at the very very bottom two cents yes hey for the record too um mad caddies was bigger than rise against on this tour that 
I of course they are. Yeah, at that point, Ma- yeah, at yeah. that point, because Mad Caddies were going back and forth from the main stage to the uh, Marie stage, which was the one that was right next to the Volcom stage that would go back and forth with, but it was kind of like a, a just a little bit smaller version of the main stage, and um, yeah, they uh, were going back and forth from that to the main stage, and Rise Against was on the Volcom stage, same stage we we were. That's so nuts. How crazy is that? And Thrice was on the main stage, right? Yes. The Thrice dr- was on the main stage. Atari's had just blown up with that um, that that co- cover song, the Don Henley. Oh, that's right. I forgot song. about that. It's, it's, it's uh, exactly the exact. I think the Used had just blown up, and and yep, they and, had. and Feldy's John Feldman's uh, uh, career took off. Career just had taken off because he produced that big Used yeah. song. Yeah. Um. What were the other big bands? Um. Simple Plan was huge because pop punk was huge right then. Right. Less Than Jake was like established. So they were probably on the main stage, right? Yep. They were on the main stage. Um, um, Rancid, obviously on the main stage. Yep. Pennywise, obviously, obviously on, the main on the main stage. But they were, uh, we kind of, I think we stole that. Uh, let's not do the whole run of Warp Tour. Let's just like kind of do a little bit of it here and there. We stole that, I think, from Pennywise because that's what they were doing every year was. They would do two weeks and then drop off and then come back and do like another week and a half. Right. It's kind of like their schedule now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it hasn't changed much in uh, 14 years. God bless them. Uh, that's such a cool poster, though. I'm going to put this on my website so that you guys can yeah. see this. Another yeah, take.net because it's so, like, I can't believe all these bands are on one tour. Also, it's a relatively small lineup considering, like, compared to yeah, now. That is a good call. Like, I'm almost. Because now you you know which ads I'm talking about the ones that have like the Lucha Libre guy and then it just has the bands listed yeah yeah those yeah. it seems like there's like a hundred bands on there I mean that's twenty four right there yeah twenty seven twenty nine they're thirty one thirty one bands yeah that's still though that's if you think about it that top row uh-huh. is one side of the main stage that's true the bottom row is the other side of the main stage true and then you still have Two more of those for those Monster Energy stages. And there was no Monster Energy stage back then. No. And then you still have two more for the the one that Ballyhoo was on last year. Yep. Which, yeah. So, and back then in 2003, there was the two main stages going back and forth. There was the Volcom stage and the Murray stage, which were, in the sense, the second stage is going back and forth. Then there was like one tiny one, like a Kevin Says stage or something. Yeah, and I think the Kevin that, the that, Kevin Says stage wasn't that like the Ernie Ball stage where it was like Ernie on a truck stage. Sorry, yeah, that's yeah, it. yeah. Because I think I saw Rise Against in two thousand four, the following year on the Ernie Ball stage. On the Ernie Ball stage, right? On a fucking pullout truck, like sense. tiny little fucker. Yeah. And I couldn't believe it because the next year it was two thousand five. They released that record that standing on the rooftop. Yeah. I've been standing and on then the it was just shot, shut, shot straight up. Was the, and but that wasn't on Fat Records either, right? They'd gotten a major record deal, I think, from the record before and released that. Oh, on, on like Capital or something, right? No, they were on Island. Okay, almost but they were certain on Fat originally, right? Yes, yeah. they were, and and he, this is the best part. They they left. Oh, fuck, I can't remember who produced the second record. But like, if you listen to to, are you a fan of Rise Against at all? Um, Fairweather. So like, so wait, wait, wait but the it, the Ryan Green guy, the producer, n- not that guy. No, because oh. they were working with the dude with uh, what's his name in Denver? Uh, oh, Bill that was Stevenson. In, Bill Stevenson, who was Drum, in uh, Drummer of Descendants. The Drummer of the Descendants. We gotta have him on a, a episode, Disposable Heroes. All right. Um, if you listen to Rise Against, uh huh, their catalog is. Like you can hear them change their sound 
in 2004. Is it? And they changed. That's when they changed producers. Yeah, and then they changed right fucking back. <laughs> they were like, that didn't work at all. <laughs> let's let's reevaluate things. Um, it was so they did. <laughs> hey man, that's um, the evolution. Hang on, I just gotta find the record. So the 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 song Siren Song of the Counterculture was the one that they did in 04, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's 2004. That came out on Geffen. Oh, geez, that was released at the tail end of 03. So they were probably making that record while they were on Warp Tour. Oh, and that well, that was Geffen, all right. So have their big their big all their major label albums have been on Geffen and Island? I think it, the other one was on The Sufferer and the Witness is on Geffen too. Um, Damn, they've been on major labels for a long time. Yeah, uh, but uh, so like, check it out. Let me see. I'll pull this up. Which means they're selling albums, people. So the first record was the Unraveling, and I remember hearing. Oh God. Is it ever changing? No. Yeah, this is like early. Right? And this is Bill Stevenson. Okay. And then. And, and that's their first album? Yeah. Oh, I kind of thought. I didn't. I thought they started working with Bill Stevenson, and Stevenson on their big album. Maybe that wasn't their first. No, I think it is their first. Yeah. I just can't remember the song that I knew. Uh, maybe wait a, wait a time. I don't know, but you get it. It's like punk rock. Yeah, totally. Yeah. No, this right? is what they sounded like in 2003 when they were on the Vulcan yeah. stage. And then, because I remember I always gravitated towards them because they're from Chicago. So right. Um, yeah, yeah. So like being such a big Bears fan, my dad from Chicago. I was always like, oh, sick. There's a band from Chicago, and they're the ones that actually told me in catering one day. That Chicago is called the Windy City because the politicians of the 50s, not because it's actual windy. Oh, that's not, interesting. Not because it's actually windy. It's because huh. all the bullshit coming out of like the politicians' mouths of the 50s. That's crazy. That's why Chicago's the Windy City. Okay, so then then they did this state of the like. Listen to how much heavier and like just not and punk this rock is different it is. producer. Yeah, I can't think of the guy's name, but he's from Canada, um, and he's he's famous. Steve Kravak. Just kidding. You hear how different it yeah, sounds? totally. Sounds like Death by Stereo more. Yeah, it's like way heavier. Yeah. It's still got the speed. But like, listen to how like muddy and like kind of like... Yeah. It's honestly... It's a great record. Yeah, I mean, it's sick, but it's definitely different. But it's different, right? Like, he's even singing different, right? Right. Like, and me, then me being a Fairweather uh, Rise Against fan, I don't think I've ever heard him sing like that. Right. And then they went from that to this. And this is back to Stevenson? Yeah. Yeah. It, it makes, like, play to your strengths. Right. It makes more sense, you know? Yeah, it's just so, so interesting. But, like, as soon as that, that happened, it... Like they just blew up this yeah. album. Oh, this has "Ready to Fall" under the night. This drum fill. So this is their third album. Yeah, Simple and sick. Hey, and you know this. You know who else? This this guy is Risty. 
Oh, really? Like it doesn't look. Oh. Well, you know, you know who's the, one of the wristiest motherfuckers out there. I, that's why I told yeah. you. Bill, it's Bill Stevenson. Bill Stevenson is Mr. Wrist, man. Yeah. That guy's. Um, yeah, that's so funny. Yeah. But yeah, I remember seeing them live and I was like, man, that drummer barely, like, like it, it sucks because if you close your eyes, he's playing everything goddamn perfect. Yeah. But then you watch him and you're like, is he trying? Like, yeah, that's and, what I was talking about before. Sometimes when uh, people do something so, like I even notice it in surfing sometimes when you're watching uh, some of the, like the top pro surfers that surf so technically perfect that it kind of is a little boring. Right, right. But yeah, it's a, but 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 it's the same thing. Like like but I think it's different because it's just all the movements in his wrist and you don't see. No, you don't. He's not physically. Yeah, he's not physically moving his body to, to mimic the intensity and the sound. Right. Like like. I think with that kind of music, there's this like natural thing that your brain wants to connect a movement or some sort of intensity totally. to the music, and he's yeah. just not even doing it. No, totally. It's but that. he's still killing it. Yeah, you know, because it just all adds to the energy and like. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so Warped Tour 2003. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I went off on a tangent there with Rise Against. I just, I just those, love hey, seeing. One, one last thing about Rise Against. So, the, the, and those guys are like famously vegan, right? Yeah. And uh, oh. just like AFI. Right. AFI. And I think, oh, no, I'm thinking of a different band. I'm I'm thinking of. Uh, Come to think of it, I just ran into Davey Havoc at a vegan restaurant, too. I apparently always run into that guy. I was I just saw the plane with him. Really? Yeah, we were. We, we <laughs> dude, it was. This is the plane ride from from Montreal uh-huh. back to L.A. Oh, yeah. Oh, because they played on the. the Mon- there were two. What, what's that, what was that festival called? Montebello. Montebello Rock, Rock Fest. Yeah. Oh, God. Craziest lineup. Pennywise, Wu-Tang Clan, AFI, Bad Religion, Offspring, Rammstein. 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 Um, and um, yeah, so our plane ride back, there were only two, I know because I booked the flights, there were only two direct flights back to LA, one at 7.15 in the morning and one at three o'clock. So everyone wanted to take the three o'clock, obviously, so they could sleep in. And our flight had us, Bad Religion, it was Pennywise, this is the band I'm talking about. Pennywise, uh, Bad Religion, and AFI all on the same flight. Like, nice. And and I th- and Zoli, how about them apples? Because he's with Ignite is his band. Yeah, he. I don't know if Ignite played, but Zoli was there and he was on our flight back. Wait, oh, he was at the festival. Yeah, yeah. Was that kind of Jim had to ride <laughs> ride there and back with him in the same plane? Was it awkward? Oh, it's always awkward. Yeah, but I mean, you know, have they? Fuck, I, don't, I mean, I don't know. I don't know the whole like behind the scenes of the whole Zoli transition. Zoli. Right. Tra- I don't. I don't really. Of Pennywise, but I don't really either. I. Yeah. I just know that like, you know, it's definitely got. It's got to be weird. I mean, I don't think you're gonna be like, hey, bro, good to see you. Thanks for thanks for stepping in to yeah. briefly. You know, I can't see a scenario where that is cool. What, um, a, tri- what a trip. But yeah. Um. So yeah, you do that, and then you do. Uh, you do. You finally get a break with a with uh, the song with Dirty Hot Sex, aka. Right. But you gotta think though that we made in with the old before that. I know because after the Warp Tour of two thousand and three, when I think that whole like I was saying, I kind of had a thing uh, like a thought in my mind after that Warp Tour is, oh, this sh- might be working a little bit. Well, you know what I mean? People right, are, right. might be catching on to our band a little bit. Like, um, so I think that was true to the point where. Volcom Entertainment was like, let's make another record um, and let's choose uh, like what producer do you guys want to use? And that's why 
through us knowing that Ron St. Germain had made the 311 album, the blue album that we'd uh, like kind of listened to in high school, um, had mixed the Soundgarden Bad Motorfinger Tool Undertow, all that. Uh, this guy had come in from like MCA or something and worked for Volcom, and he was like, I actually, I actually know Ron St. Germain or I have a contact for him, whatever. Right, right. So hit him up. He ended up agreeing to come see us uh, for at a show, and like lo and behold, was like, "Yeah, I'll do your guys' record. We can record it at Three Eleven Studio because I just finished recording uh, the From Chaos, From Chaos. Al- album there." Um, so yeah, so that was the first time we met all the Three Eleven guys, um, just kind of in passing in their studio. You know, they were they were doing their <laughs> whole so thing, but weird. we were we were uh, snuck in their studio by their producer at well, he made our album kind of on the side you know what i mean because they let i mean he was done working for their album but he just was like hey bros 311 you mind if i just chop your studio for a little bit to make this record for this little are you band? serious yeah pretty much you know so from chaos was t- just finished i think or or, or been finished for a, a it, it no it had been out for a while so but I that have- was the last thing i think he'd he had done for them i have i th- this is one of those you're talking about those fucking weird pinch me moments uh-huh that's my pinch me moment right now. I just had one. Because when I started getting into the idea of recording music yep. on a, like a pro level, yeah, I remember it was like I'd open a CD and I, I think before I'd even put on this, put the first song on, I'd looked at the credits to see who was working on it. Right. Right. That From Chaos album came out. My girlfriend in high school was a huge 311 fan. Yep. So she made me a fan and I got caught up and then that album came out and I listened to it front to back, learned Ron St. Germain. Found out about the Hive, yeah. Right. So one of the I know I bet it was fairly new to them at that point. The Hive. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was the first time. First album. They were. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I, like, for some reason, like that studio was like a dream of mine to work in. Yeah. And to work with Ron Saint Germain was also kind of a dream of mine. Yeah. But to like weirdly tie it up, (laughs) I then went to recording school, and I had a teacher, and I can't think of his name right now. But he was kind of like a master, like mm-hmm. weird. He was like Brian McKnight's engineer for a bunch of years. Okay. And um, older guy. He came into class and actually told us about how he had just gone to the Hive, 2004-ish, yep. to fix the board, their tape machine. Oh, oh gotcha. Because their tape machine couldn't connect with Pro Tools uh-huh. for some reason. Uh-huh. Like they couldn't get them to sync. Uh-huh. And he was able to do it. And he was like friends with Ron St. Germain. Yeah. And like to think that there is a possibility that you could have been the band. Like the timing is really close. What yeah. year did you actually go in there? To record uh, probably late 2002, early 2003. For In With The Old? Yeah. When did that come out? 2004, I think. Really? Yeah. You guys could be the band. I think, yeah, ish, ish. Because then, getting back to the story that we were talking about, then in 2005 is when Give It Up, Dirty Hot Sex hit K-Rock and then right. a bunch of, and all the radio stations and fucking kind of like... Picked it up. Yeah, blew up kind of, especially on K-Rock. But we'd already had, a, we'd already made a new album since then. What was that like? Um... I mean, it was great because you know what I mean. It was it was all it was a bunch of success kind of f- flooding in at once. You know, I guess for our career, it was like a, it was like a bunch of label 
I mean, in a sense, I guess in with the old kind of got like maybe cause it made its run. We'd been touring on it for like, I think a good year or so like ashes became like a pretty like fan favorite. Yeah. And then give it up, hit the, uh, uh, radio stations, like went number one on K rock, all this stuff. And all the major labels started calling cause they wanted to sign us. Um, but yeah, it was all because of Kona Town. Right. Like they wanted to, like, there was talks of, like, re-releasing Kona Town, like, like putting a big marketing behind Kona Town, all this stuff. So, what, what, what was everyone's thoughts on that? Um, I think there was, like, consideration of it, but then there was, like, oh, but it's old. Like, we should maybe just concentrate on something new and capitalize on the, on the uh, success right now and all the attention on the band, you know? So that's what initially ended up happening with uh, No Shame. And then I, I mean, I would, ju- I had started working at Wynn Studio Total Access right after you recorded that. Yep. Um, I think I was probably a month because, after. Because though the first part was recorded back at the Hive, we went straight back to the Hive. Did because it really? since Hexum. since Atlantic Records stepped in and signed us, they, I don't know if it was because we'd already been there, but they just thought it was. I think they and us, everyone thought it was perfect to Nick, get back Nick, in. Nick Hexum wants to produce music he's the perfect guy to produce pepper uh he has a studio let's do it right i mean on paper it makes total sense yeah so he ended up producing i think half the about half the album Mm -hmm. and then we came down to total access like you're talking about before you started working there and recorded the last half of the album with paul Paul leary and win yep with win and paul leary the men the myths the legends yeah (laughs) i gotta get win on here yeah um so you did the that's so so interesting because so, because that album if I'm not mistaken because I I had heard about the album uh, no shame yeah and Wayne had told me about it and then all of a sudden it got kind of shelved didn't it yeah it took forever it uh um it, I guess it didn't technically get shelved because it, it was relieved sh- yeah it, it was well, released it didn't get shelved they just even before what you're talking about it didn't get shelved they just kept doing the whole standard like oh we don't hear a single we don't hear a single like we like. We want you to go work with, with uh, these producers. We want so we were like, f- they flew us to New York, they, like when the album was already like technically done. You know what I mean? We we're like us as a, as Pepper. We're like sick. The album's done. Right on, guys. Then they listened to it and no, it's not done. We, we don't have a single. So we did all the like jump through the hoops kind of uh. deal. You know that's what it came down to. Like I think our management at the time was like, you know, we just got to jump through these hoops to get the album out. So we we're like, okay, let's do it. <laughs> so we went to New York, worked with these producers, this and that. A lot of stuff that like never ended up being on the album or. or Who did you or work being... with? You remember? No, no one. Like this one was like a production team called like 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 Pop Rocks or something, like some high rise in New York that we went up to their like like office in this building and whatever. Like oh my god, like, yeah, whatever. Like I it, like it was cool because it's a. Uh, it's like a hell of an experience. Good, yeah, a good experience for the whole for in life and just for the whole story of the whole thing. But yeah, so that's what ended up taking so long is um finally they I think gave two of the songs to um Lord Alge, Tom Lord Alge to mix. Chris and, and, and Chris Lord Alge. Tom to, is his brother. Yeah. Tom does does pop. Gotcha. Yeah. So Chris Lord Alge, he uh uh never met the guy. But yeah. He uh, took and mixed a couple songs, I think one of them being good enough, and then I, I can't right off the bat uh, tell you each other one. 
And then I think it was at that point, if I remember correctly, Atlantic was like, I, cool, I think we got a single talking about good enough. And then No Control ended up getting on the radio and doing fairly well. And that was when the kind of, at that point, I think the radio was left out to dry or the uh, album was left out to dry and essentially Atlantic ended up giving us the album back. Wait, why? Because No Control was not the single that they wanted? I don't know. It, they just kind of, I think they just lost interest in the album in general and the project as a whole. Really? Yeah. Because it got, it. I no, no Control got up to like number 19 on the alternative radio charts, which was like, pretty solid and i don't know why they wouldn't have capitalized on that personally but i think it all worked out perfectly we got the album back and what's good enough what song is that um that's not is it is it called good enough oh yeah it is yeah, yeah. it's the it's like second to last yeah and this is one of the hex produced this one this is definitely crystal algae yep You know what the other song is, right? I know. No, which one is it? Your face. Oh, you're right. Yeah. See, and then there was all the there was all the talks about that. I, like I said, that's I think was like a learning lesson. Looking back on it now, that was all those things where there were so many different. Okay, maybe your face should be the single. Maybe like and where we just needed to choose. I think a path and go forward with it. You know what I mean? And the path ended up kind of choosing itself. No like I said, no control. Ended up getting on the radio, and it did it did really well. I think got in the top twenty, and it kept on. Uh, it was one of those things where it was like, no, you know, Atlantic. You know, if it gets in the top like twenty five, then they're really gonna put some steam behind it. Then like got in the top twenty five. Okay, if it gets in the top twenty, got to nineteen is where it ended up peaking out. But they just never got behind it. And like I said, it kind of set us up for where we. Uh, I think needed to be in where we are now and that's controlling our own destiny with our own record label and everything because they gave us the record back we ended up putting it out on our own record label re-releasing it and and uh you talk about the universe kind of maybe guiding you in a way when you don't know it's happening but in a sense that was maybe almost yeah. the turning to the path of like hey you guys could maybe just do this yourself with your own label and 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 maybe that's maybe that's your the right path for you you know right and I mean, you have done that almost. I <clears throat> uh, well, was Pink Crustaceans on your own label? Yeah, and that was the first. That was that was the the direct result of like, okay, well, that right on that that deal uh, ended. Let's we have the platform. Our band's big enough. We have uh, the name. We have Law Records. We have the brand. We we just we just need to uh, get the infrastructure together, get distribution, this and that, and that's what was the our first, I guess like real effort major effort for pepper on law records because we'd re-released given it i remember that yeah album yeah. Mm -hmm. and put some like live tracks on it and that was the first like hey like we're, we love like epitaph and we love fat records and you know we should have our own label so my dad had this law records thing back in the day for his band the law like let's let's do that what do we yeah. have what do we have Oh, we can re-release this. So you know what I mean? Just to like, just to like, right? Kind of put it, make a stamp, and like, oh, this is our label. And then I'm glad, like, obviously, I'm glad we did it because Pink Crustacean came along, and we had all the skeleton of of the um, vehicle that 
we used to um, <clears throat> release the next album. And that's when we linked up with you because yeah. you had gotten hired at Total Access. Yeah. Uh, I did uh, Slightly Stupid. That was the first thing I did that was like in the vein of reggae. Cronkitis. Cronkitis. And then we did two weeks on um, where we like revisited a bunch of stuff uh-huh. for what's the name of that? Uh, slightly Not Stoned Enough to Eat Breakfast. Stupid. Yeah. Yep. And then from there, the double album, right? Yeah. Didn't that end up being like two? I, I think so. Yeah. yeah. And then from there, I did, um, I got to do, uh, like right after that, it seemed like you guys came in the studio, like right after yep. April, yep. March and April of 2008. Probably was. Fucked almost 10 years ago. Mm. Yes, it is. Um, and then you did, uh, yeah, and then we did Pink Crustaceans. Then, and, then, uh, the EP. Yep. And then, well, we did Pink Crustaceans and then we toured off that for a couple of years. And then, and then we, yeah, and then we, did the EP and then we kind of there was that kind of like lull I think in in Pepper maybe for a little bit where we didn't release a ton of music for that five year gap you know and right all we ended up releasing was I think the EP the EP um um and then we kind of rebooted a little bit and and did the you know you talk about maybe a little bit of a of a venture we like rebooted a little bit and did the um self titled record with Matt Wallace. And definitely kind of went branched out a little bit and tried to diff- some different stuff. You know what I mean? Like that that album's a bit, uh, as far as production and like it's pretty eclectic. Yeah. As far as the songs go, and it's and like there's some heavy production on it. Um, and then, and f- yeah, funny thing actually that that was on a major label too because we got the the island came. Yeah. Yeah. I because, was gonna ask you about that. Yeah. Funny. Like... I I I kind of spaced that so. You have so you've had two major labels yeah. releases. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> that's well, cause, well, such well, a... okay. Because let me let me back up because I forgot that was on a major label. So, um, we that five year kind of like uh, whatever you want to call it, just a little bit of a, a sabbatical, and then towards the end of it, we started to reboot, and then we were like, we were ready. We were like, let's do it again. Let's make another push. You know what I mean? Let's do this, you guys. Right. So we started making the self-titled album, mm-hmm. and um, when we finished making it, uh, fuck around again. K Rock picked it up, and it started doing really well on K Rock. And at that point, we were just going to release the album ourselves because we still were in the same mindset of, okay, well, yeah, we got the label. Let's release. Let's. We're ready to. We're finally ready to make a full album. We're in the right headspace. We're in the right place in general. Let's do it. And yeah, fuck around ended up doing really well on radio, again. All the major labels started calling, <laughs> <laughs> but this way we did it kind of like we. I mean, we did it right with the first one where we got like Law Records on there and we got our imprint on the uh, on the pa- packaging and whatnot. Um, so, uh, we I don't know. I think we approached this one more as like let's we're just gonna take it as an individual project. And not like look at it as this is our destiny kind of thing, you know, like, mm-hmm. like not, not that we were looking at like then back during no shame, but you know, it was our first, like, wow, we got a major, re- we got a major, we got to deal with fucking Atlantic records. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? We we're like, 
Yeah. That, that's fucking amazing. Yeah, like, they put who, out Led Zeppelin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're like, who fuck? This could be it. You know what I mean? It was the first like taste of that. So and 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 yes, it did escalate our career to that. Uh, I think next level, and we got so many good things out of it. But being through that, and then hitting this uh, relationship with the Island Records, you know, we weren't as we weren't as uh, uh, romanticized by it. We weren't like right. We weren't so like goo goo gaga i guess you could say like oh my god it's a major label we were just more like okay well let's see what kind of what and there and there was a few of them i think it was island and i can't remember which other ones but we were like ah we have everything set up to release it on our own but hey we're never ones to like shoot down something just without even exploring it so let's see what they have to say so they basically talked to us we really liked what uh island like had to say and and it wasn't a huge commitment like i said it was just an individual project they were going to step in and in a sense license the album from us and market it and and this and that um and and then the same kind of you know like a different version of the atlantic thing happened a bunch of good things happened we got we played on jimmy kimmel show because fuck round was doing so good um we played you know we kind of reestablished ourselves with that sector of the music industry again you know all the radio stations all the um you know the the mm-hmm. i don't know for lack of a better term kind of like the old guard or yeah, whatever yeah. whatever yeah. you want to uh call it and um but but which is great because we have so much fun in the new guard and the old guard it's like we we reconnected with people we had known from the past uh and and everything so then that ended with that record and it again kind of set us up perfectly to release ohana you know and kind of like rein it back in it was right at the time that we had gotten uh uh you'd kind of gotten us into the studio and we'd set up kind of our our path here of uh controlling that destiny in our own studio and whatnot and and yeah it, it, it worked out perfectly and 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 i think thinking back of unconsciously setting us down this path and then looking back it you know kind of lined up pretty, pretty well yeah pretty co- it's pretty copacetic so pretty copacetic did you know that i have a picture I, it's kind of pointless but it's it's kind of it's kind of a cool recom- or, rem- uh piece of memorabilia for me is i have a picture of you guys the first time you hear you're hearing uh fuck around on the radio oh really yeah that's, that's amazing yeah it's uh because striker played it for 420 oh okay yeah, and then and then it did, and then it yeah, and then it did. Four twenty songs yeah, then, then it started doing super good. Yeah, it's like I remember Strike Striker was like, oh, I'm so pumped when I heard that song from you guys because obviously he was probably like he's this one of the gonna... old, he's one of the old people that yeah, you connected yeah, with. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're and talking, he, about. and he probably heard it and knew that there was excitement around the station about it. So he's like, yes, they're gonna be back. Yeah, and then we ended up, you know, that the K Rock Sound Space. Yeah, it was a different era of K Rock. There was the Red Bull Sound Space. We got to we got to experience that. We like these are all just more of the awesome things that came along with getting into bed with island for uh for an album you know right and i mean not to say that they wouldn't happen anyway but i mean it was all part of the experience so it was it was, it was super rad yeah and that um that was a fun little period being with you guys at that point yeah because that was the first per- period of you starting to work with us on the live on tour yeah things, right yeah i i started right i started in 2012 Yep, and, on the, on the Sublime with Rome and Cypress Hill tour yeah. because that actually we left we took a break from making the self-titled album and left that. on that tour and which was right around the time that I think Fuck Around hit radio. 
No. No, it was the year after. Yeah. It was the year See, after. God, that's how long that record took a long time. Yeah, it did. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I, I and I, people don't realize that sometimes, unfortunately. Yeah. Like they think that, like, dude, that, uh, that record took a long time. To I go. mean, the Beatles were pretty fucking prolific in there. Um, and that's the perfect word for it, prolific. Yeah. They crew like 10 albums in 10 years, pretty much. Yeah. And they're all unbelievable. Yeah. But like, Nowadays, it takes like a year sometimes to make a record. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's, it all depends what, like, where you're at, what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Well, like, you, I mean, you could err on the side of whether it be necessity or not of doing like 40 Ounces of Freedom and recording your album in a, in a week. Obviously, that was necessity because. Right. But, but I sometimes mean, the necessity too breeds really great results yeah because you're forced to buckle down and just do it yeah yeah or you can or you can i mean i think the place that we were at at that point too we were like we haven't released music in a really long time we should maybe think about like let's right. really yeah, think yeah. about this kind of deal but i don't know me personally i agree with the whole i like uh that sense of urgency in the creative space i kind of think it usually leads to rad things yeah when it comes to art mm-hmm. maybe that's what right. that's that, what i that's, usually I, I kind of like that too. Yeah, because I just because I think overthinking and art don't really no don't belong in the well, same peapod. Putting putting uh like a little bit of um uh putting limitations on yourself, uh-huh. especially nowadays the way music is recorded. Yeah, like you know, I mean, you Seriously. could you could spend ungodly amounts of time fixing and replacing and doing and and it's like at the end of the day you got to figure out like okay what is actually relevant yeah like what makes what what's good what's not like right. do we have to reinvent the wheel here no but putting putting like a little I mean, bit sometimes of, you sometimes you do though yeah, to, yeah of you course know what i mean like of course i always think about like i don't know i, well, I think about uh, uh, uh even a genre of music like bands like us or or uh, iration revolution slightly stupid like i don't think any of us need to re- exactly are or are going to reinvent the wheel per se you know but but there is that that need i think maybe in other aspects of art yeah that you need to be that progressive yep absolutely but i don't know yeah but who's to say it's all and, subjective man and now you've got uh i mean let's see we've got a tour coming up here potential releases coming up here yep um and i think like you got the podcast Yep. You have Law Records. Yep. Releasing music. Uh, latest release is... Latest release we just put out was the Cashed Out. Yeah, we could go, oh, down, yeah. We could go down a rundown of the Law Records release, releases right now. So, on... Because that's... I mean, it's funny you talk about this because it kind of coincides with the that five-year period of, uh, of, for lack of a better term, like, just not putting out new music. Because, of course, as Pepper, we were still touring. Like, we haven't really stopped touring since we came to the mainland basically. Um, but during that five year period of not putting out new music, we kind of, in a sense, the law records, the label kind of took a break too, cause it wasn't being really, uh, paid attention to enough. And, and it was just part of that whole, like I said, hiatus for lack of a better term. Um, and now <clears throat> we've got that, back kind of coinciding with ohana and Mm -hmm. we're kind of back full force and that's consisted of um the dare knots record that we put out the catastra record that we put out which uh, you and kaleo produced here in the studio 
um, which the Ohana record also was recorded here in the studio. <clears throat> and then um, we just put out the Cashed Out record, Band from Orlando, uh, yeah. on uh, May 29th. Uh, we just put out the first of a three-part, um, I guess you could say, record that the Dare Knots are putting out called Strange Love. So we just put out Strange Love Volume 1, which is three songs. There's really? Gonna be, yeah, there's going to be three volumes of it, Volume 1, 2, and 3, just released uh, uh, digitally. <clears throat> and then um, we're going to put out the Catastro Acoustic record in August. Okay. Which is gonna have some of the songs from Strange Nights that you guys did here done acoustically, and then some other song of their older, kind of more popular songs right, as like well. Off of the Lotus record, yeah, and then um off of you know what? Actually, I'm not sure if there's too much Lotus. I know the Gen- uh, Gentle Predator uh, record; they have a couple songs from there on it. But mm. um, and then the Pepper EP is gonna come out September 29th. Oh, and then uh, yeah, we got a date for that. And then um, let's see. I think that's all that we have. Really is that coming on. out on physical? Uh, I don't think so. No, probably just digital. Just, just digital. Yeah, I mean, just to like honestly, it's <clears throat> with all. It's gonna be fun to just flip the script, is what I'm trying to say. Instead of paying all the attention and like you think, talk about the old guard, paying attention to record stores and kind of pushing that kind of thing, or even iTunes, paying attention to iTunes and pushing that thing. We're gonna try and pay attention to just all the streaming service and like and kind of push that way of of checking us out. That's you know, so or, or crazy. Checking out the new album, you know. I I mean, it makes total sense. Yeah, I think we'll still we still want to probably, you know, for everyone that's coming to the shows, maybe sell some limited edition, right? Type of. Uh, I actually just ran it like uh, the people that's been uh, printing the vinyl for Law Records just told me that they can print cassette tapes. Print, print cassette tapes and, and the, do you have to, do you, wait, wait where do they print the vinyl don't they print it in like fucking slovenia uh, yeah Czechoslovak- czechoslovakia yeah so do they some... do they print the cassette tapes in czechoslovakia uh, i don't know or maybe, maybe maybe somewhere weird like taiwan or something i'm just thinking it's just like god that's so <laughs> but, funny yeah but no for sure the main the main focus on the pepper ep is going to be uh streaming that's great so i guess yeah because i'm not going to say digital streaming yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, I think it's. The, well, I mean, it'll still be available to download on like Google Play and, and iTunes, right? <clears throat> yeah, I, I believe it'll be able to download. Like, can have, you buy it? Might have like, to double check. I would have to double that, check that. We might even be barring downloading it, and you can only stream it on streaming services. I don't know. That's I interesting. Because have you noticed? Like, uh, to me, it's pointless. It's uh, iTunes does this, and and if you're listening, anyone from iTunes, please for the. F- Fuck all, just fix this one little thing. If I pay for Apple Music, right? Mm-hmm. I understand there is a scenario where I might want to actually buy a song. Yeah. Right? It's slim because I pay $10 a month to, to just listen to whatever, listen to whatever, to whatever I want. Right. Of course, if I want to own it in perpetuity, I can just buy it. Right. <clears throat> of course. But how about you make it really hard for me to buy it so that I don't get confused between the store and music? Right. On my computer, this is simply an, I think, old iTunes thing. Yeah, yeah. Where, like, I constantly am, like, searching for something, and I play it on Apple Music, and it takes me to the store, and it only plays, like, 20 seconds. Oh, God. I'm like, what the fuck? And then I have to, like, figure out where I am in iTunes and get out of it. Their user interfaces have gone downhill. That's the nerd in me talking. I apologize. Well, well, it's funny, because I, from, it's funny, because they were such, like, 
kind of bully in the music industry when iTunes. Yeah, they were the I'm first being, one I'm, to I'm, like. I'm, be, I'm being nice, but yeah. you know where it was kind of like my it's our way or the highway. Like let's, which was fine because they were this the the absolute like end all be all for getting music at one point was iTunes. You know you don't. Where now I the way I see it is it's almost like Spotify is kind of like the new iTunes nowadays because majority of people that I've come into contact with are listening to streaming right. music on yeah. Spotify. Even though Pandora Premium just released for the there's the Apple Music for it's all the same idea ten dollars right. a month and you can listen to anything you want. Yeah, Google Play uh, too. Yeah, Google uh, Play, dude, exactly. Prime. Yeah, Amazon Did you know that? Prime. I that's where I just watched the Blood into Wine movie because I always forget about Amazon Prime Video. Yeah, me too. But yeah, they they and they apparently have some really good shows on there. Yeah. Anyway, getting into some weird stuff. Anyway, okay, so just to wrap it up because we're running out of time here. Yeah, uh, we've got. For, for, it's because I I realize how old I am and I'm like God. Yes. Yeah. You, you hit it on the head when you said you guys have had two major record deals. Like Jesus Christ. Yeah, not many bands can say that. It's a long career. Like, like to have a like, and it's and it's a crazy arc because it's not like you got signed to a record like a major and you stayed on it. No, the, it's the like, exact opposite. Yeah, you got signed to a major and they're they're like they're like yeah, fuck, ooh, nah, um. Hmm. Okay, we'll release it, but like you can have it. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. you get signed again to another yeah. one. It's like, like that's that's the best story about it. I, the best thing I about mean, it. I like I've I've heard many horror stories about getting shell like you're talking about earlier, shelved on a major label and yeah. stuck. I know, know I know. I mean? So I can think of two other bands right off the top of my yeah, head. Yeah, it's ended some beer, some beers, some bands' careers. I'm pretty sure. So uh, mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's a. I mean. In, in I, it, my eyes, they're both success stories. It, Absolutely, it can ruin your career. Easy, totally, like, yeah. no problem. Yeah, they're, but they're for uh, for us. I totally look. I, in retrospect, and everything, I look uh, at both those major record uh, deal scenarios as successful. Yeah, successful ventures for us. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, and No Shame's a really good album too. You know, totally. So is the self-titled. Yeah, they're both different, but like I think, I think you know the like having that kind of success is a little humbling and also reminds you like oh shit like unless you can sustain it like dave grohl style yeah how like it's good to kind of taste and be like is this really what we want yeah yeah does this make does this really help what we're after yeah for some people it totally does or it's a great way to to kind of look at things and be able to think about is this really gonna make me happy? Does this really yes. make me happy? Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know? for sure. And and because sometimes maybe you things happen so fast, whether they be in your career or whatever, and you don't have the chance to sit there and contemplate for even a second of is this gonna truly make me happy? Right. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. So. Totally true. Yeah. All right. So the podcast comes out uh, July fifth. Yes, July next 5th. Wednesday. Yep. Disposable Heroes. A little over a week. Come. Um, come uh, hang out with uh, me and all my drumming drummer first friends. episode is uh our boy joe dickens from iration yes um and second episode is going to be Vinny. yes from less the legendary less than jake yep and also like we said i'm gonna super excited to talk to him about all the the speaking of record labels the biz side of uh, yep. the record business because if uh, a lot of you probably don't know, but he was the first one to sign Fallout Boy, um, Fueled by Ramen. He started. Uh, so, I mean, you think about the 
his stories he's probably got dealing with major record labels the record business everything so dude he's got yeah yeah because i mean less than jake they've been through major record label or labels fat records um the the whole the whole deal so yeah it's gonna be exciting i'm i mean i'm i'm just i'm super stoked to for everyone to hear it but i'm really stoked to be doing it and and hey mitch thanks for staying on me to do it because (laughs) i always look at life and and when i can get out of my comfort zone and do something i always feel like i'm doing something good you know right because some when i'm pushing i guess my own limits in a sense when i'm like i don't really know if like i really would do that right like kind of feels a little like new to me so whenever i kind of get that feeling and i get to that point it I and I and I recognize that it excites me. So thank you for that. No problem. Uh, and I'm gonna do you a favor. I'm gonna change our outro music from uh, uh, "Lose Control," yeah, which is like been the standard, you know. Yeah. Uh, to our new intro, which uh, you saw, and our very good friend Dean Woodward, who happened to be on the podcast last week, yes, uh, did for us. So have a listen. This is uh, the Disposable Heroes intro. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. Um, you're now listening to the new intro for Isad Williams' new podcast, Disposable Heroes. So go check it out on iTunes, subscribe at disposableheroespod.com, Apple Music, you can find it in Apple Music, you can find it in Stitcher, or you can find it on Google Play as well. Um, go check that out and do us a favor, go get some boxers from Skivvy, skvi.com, I'm telling you, they are awesome. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.